Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Stephen Chong, Australian-based author of six novels and four feature film screenplays and multiple short stories. After his accident, he saw different levels of heaven, which we're going to learn about today. Stephen, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome. Good morning, Jeff, and thank you for having me on your program. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Stephen, if you don't mind, let's start around the time you had this accident and go from there. Sure, Jeff. Well, it was one of those unpleasant life experiences, an experience that you do when you're over 60 and silly. What I was doing was cleaning out the gutters, and maybe behind me you can see the the rainforest. Yeah, we're up high a little bit. So I'm up about five metres cleaning out the gutters. And the ladder slipped. And the ladder went through all of these these plate glass windows. So I'm lying on the ground in a crumpled mess and can't feel my legs. Uh, now, we're a bit remote here, so, and it's only my wife and I, my nearest neighbours are a good 250 metres away. So this particular Saturday morning, uh, Camilla's here. Now, normally she's off doing other things, so just thank for the gods that she was here. So I'll be yelled out to her and she's come and rescued me. I fractured my neck, um, but as you can see, I'm all in good shape now. But it wasn't so much the near-death experience that happened at that time. It was more what happened as an epiphany afterwards where where things started to evolve very differently in my life. I had to rehabilitate for uh, probably three or four months and I was good for nothing during that time. But after that period, it was like, and if I could draw you back to those those novels I'd written, I'd had enough, I'd done, I, I'd, I'd closed, I'd stopped the pen, I wasn't doing any more. But it was like an irresistible urge was saying there is more for you to do that you've got to write. And I was given this title of, of this book, The Afterlife, A Journey Too. And I thought, well, uh, and I, I really resisted. I said, I'm, I don't want to do any more. But eventually I've succumbed, if you put it that way. So, okay, I'm in. But if you want me to write you spirit have to tell me what to do what because i had no idea you know what about the afterlife what do i know so i bought into the process i started to write and it was i, I can barely describe for you the the sensations i sat with no no idea no no intention of no storyboard no character development no nothing i just sat and said okay you want me to write what do you want me to write and it was like an epiphany. The, the images, the sounds, the colours, I 
I saw things. I heard the words. There a, was a character in there whose narration, I, it was like taking dictation, Jeff, is the best way I could describe it, just to see the different things. And I was taken through different levels of heaven, shown different things. And uh, all I did, all I had to do was my best to describe what I saw. So from a from experiential point of view, it was wonderful. Yeah, that was a, this trust I put into the divine to, to, to give me these things was, was amazing. So this voice that you heard that was inspiring you to write, was it like your own inner voice or do you actually feel like you were hearing like the voice of a spirit guide or some other being talking to you? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I certainly don't see myself, I'm, I'm not a medium, I don't channel, I don't even like that term, but it was like, I guess the best way to describe it was like tuning into a frequency. So I would sit and I just, I would trust implicitly that whatever was coming through would be there. But I just, it was a listening process. So I'd say, okay, what do you want me to write? Where do you want me to go with this story? And then it was like I I saw the colours and heard the music that was around and when I was writing, just to, it was like hearing the words. I was taking the, it was the writing is even somewhat gothic, if I can put it that way, which is not my style at all. So you could say it was hearing these words, but it was it was just there. It's like tuning into a radio frequency. So I was just listening and then then taking dictation. Do you feel like it was a download into your brain, just images and sounds? That's probably that's probably a good way to put it, yeah. Because what I saw was, you know, you couldn't even conceptualise. With my logical brain, you couldn't even say, you know, I, I could have thought of that because that's not the case. It was just there to see and to ex- – it was like I was looking at these – I'll explain some of them later, but the buildings and and, and the colours were, were majestic and it my issue was the interpretation. So I'm trying to describe <laughs> describe what I saw was probably the most difficult thing. So because I, you know, um, you know, it was still a listening process, and I, you know, I'm an impure being, so I guess I didn't get it all. But uh, uh, that's what it felt like. So, but the the key for me was to having bought into that writing process was the trust to that that. Whatever was coming was going to be there, and a willingness not to judge it, just write. That's all I had to do, which is what I saw and felt and heard. I just wrote and had made no judgment upon it. How much different was it writing this book compared to your previous novels? <laughs> That's a very good question. In pre- my previous incarnations have been, they've been mind, body, spirit books. Help. Yeah, self-help books uh, based on life experience, what I know works in life. But this one, of course, <laughs> is completely different. I mean, what do I know about heaven apart from what I've now seen and experienced? So it was a completely, it was a totally different from that point of view. So I had no idea what I was going to write, no idea about, because it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you could call it, it's fiction. I mean, it was, it's not empirically based or research based. It's told through the medium of story. But what I saw 
and heard could not be fathomed logically or even thought of conceptually. No. So it was very, from that point of view, it was very different. And this, the book, um, in a time frame, come out in about four or five weeks, which is, from a book's point, <laughs> writing a book's point of view, is quite astounding. It was just there. It was like, so, so I, you know, I'd sit with the writing process. And as you said before, it was like a download. It was just you know, a stream of consciousness, if you could put it that way. Would you have to enter into a meditative state to be able to, you know, hear and see this? Or was it more like automatic writing where some people will say that they're just, you know, they just sit down and they just automatically write almost effortlessly? Very close. Uh, uh, Where where I am um, and my wife works, so I have the place to myself (laughs) during the day. So I have quiet, no interruptions. But... The, what would happen was like in the morning you'd get up and do your thing and I'd say right to myself or to spirit at one o'clock you're on and you've got two hours. That's how I would do it. So it was like, if I could put it this way, prepping spirit for when I was ready to do whatever was necessary. So it's like one o'clock, we're on and we've got a couple of hours. Uh, and I found when I did that, as soon as, you know, you know, tune that dial and tuned in. Call it meditation, if you will. Uh, it was there. It was always there. But I must <laughs> got to tell you, by the end of a couple of hours, I'm tired. It was almost one o'clock by then. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it's a, it was a tiring process. But but notwithstanding, that's how the writing process worked in the morning. You know, if I had a busy day and nothing was happening, or I couldn't fit that in. All good. But normally. You know, get up, okay, one o'clock, you're on, you've got two hours, never fail. Beautiful experience. Now, it sounds like it's a complete fictionary type of book because I thought you said it was set in the medieval times or something. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fiction. I, I could call it nothing else, Jeff. Um, um, I, I would class it as speculative fiction. Uh, but that's, you know, in some ways that's a great way to do it because when you read the stories or, or stories such as this, as distinct from something which is empirical or research-based, which many of the NDEs are, which is great, but this, the reader can look at the story through the different levels. Um, so they could look at that story quite literally uh, and see it and make a judgment about whether they like think it's good or think it's rubbish, but they could also look at it from a uh, a, metaphy- a deeper level, at a metaphysical level, because what the, as I've read and reread the story myself, there are particular laws, laws of heaven and earth that are uh, inherent in the storylines that you have to, you can pick up, which is really quite amazing. But even at a deeper level than that, the story enables the reader to find their own truth so you can read that and you go oh wow man that's really me i've got that that's your inner truth speaking and that's what the story does really that it it can evoke that 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 inner truth within as distinct from something which is empirically based or somebody's had an NDE and they've seen things and and the reader then goes, oh, that's really interesting, but they're looking at it from an objective point of view 
through this medium of this type of story, the reader can experience their, their own truth as it evolves within them by virtue of the story that they're reading. So I think that's the majesty of how it's been brought forward, which is great for, yeah, I, just to further with that, in my own experience of life now, consequential of writing this story, <laughs> it's diametric shift. I have learnt things about heaven that have changed for my life to the better in many, many ways. I see life completely differently now. Do you think that after your fall, did you have some type of -of out-of-body experience or do you think it somehow did something to you psychically or opened the veil for you to get this access that you got? Yes, I think so, Jeff. You know, it's hard to it's hard to envisage that, but I, I think the term "open the veil" was very true. It realigns you. It's like a like many of the people you've had on your program with their near death experiences. What it does is it's like a pivot point. Let's say, well, you can go forward here, and I will give you this is what you've had this experience for. You can go forward with this, and I will give you. My spirit will give you tools to enable you to fulfill your your dharma or your purpose. You can choose not to do that, okay? But I, this is what that experience was was for to realign you to back back to what you are meant to be doing in life, which is really important for the benefit of others. And I'm pretty sure that's the way it's worked with me. Were you knocked unconscious at all during after the fall? No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was conscious, and I was conscious that I couldn't feel anything. <laughs> I couldn't feel my legs. I'm yelling out to my wife. Um, I, I actually, you know, I'll refrain from using uh, you know, descriptive attitude, but I thought I was in real trouble. I thought I'd be paralysed or something like that. I, I had angels looking after me, Jeff. Uh, I mean, I've fallen in amongst all this glass, so I could have been, you know, cut up. The only thing I had was a little cut on my arm. Uh, and, and by rights, I should be dead, you know, having fractured my neck. And, and as you can see now, I'm perfectly mobile and everything works as good as 65-year-old things work. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned about the different laws of heaven and earth. Can you tell us more about that? Okay. Let me, and there's a number, but... The, or let, let me let me describe a couple through the journey that the that the main character went through. I'll, I'll catch it in those terms. The name of the character was Athar. Now, in life, he he was a, as a child he was abused under the auspices of the clergy, and as a young man, he took his own life, and he he was stuck in purgatory in this. And I saw them, and I don't like the word purgatory, but it's like I saw them, they're stuck in mist, but he's stuck in in this uh, with his own guilt and his anger and his hurt and his pain and his suffering, but, and he couldn't move out. But until such time as he had a relation, met up with the bishop of the sea and whose insouciance he was abused. Now, their relationship, propelled them into the different realms of heaven. But let me get back to your, to your main point. The, the, the main 
one of the great laws of heaven is what you sow, so shall you reap. So in this purgatory, in this, in these mists, you you see yourself in life review. It's like looking in the mirror of you of review of what you have done and what you haven't done in life, and you see and feel feel what you have caused others. So that the law of heaven in this state, as I saw it. Was what, yeah, and the Grand Master tells us the same thing. What you sow, so shall you reap. That there's one of the great laws of heaven. The other law, uh, and excuse me for the way I put things, but the emperor emperor wears no clothes. So when whatever your station in life, whether you're king or or pauper or you know you're a big businessman, you wear no clothes in this period of purgatory in this mist of review you are confronted with yourself and what you have done to others the, to, there are two there are two standout laws of heaven that in this state um, that propel the the soul forward um, if I can continue on with that so through, through that Purgatory stage after your life review, you what I saw was you, these souls exit from these mists and they are cloaked, robed. What I, what I saw, they are robed in clothes that you can't render, so you can't take them off, but they're multi hued, different colors by virtue of what you have done and your station going forward. You, this robe that these souls were in designated where they went to from there, if that kind of makes sense. So it designates the pathway that you follow, you know, some going up, others going down. It's like I saw souls coming out of this mist. Some were beautifully robed in multi-hued colours and they're going up to different levels. They are met by kin and loving, loving souls and taken to different areas. But there were others, it's like they were dressed in like Hessian, is the way I could put it, where, and their, their, their pathway was to more lower nether regions, if you can put it that way. That was one of the most profound experiences. That was early on in the, in the writing that I saw these things, but it stuck with me in such a profound way. That they you come the souls come through these mists of judgment, if you want to call it that, and then that designates your pathway through and into the different levels of heaven. Do all souls go through that life review kind of judgment day? Yes, without exception. It, yes, all souls that have passed when what I saw again in at different. Uh, areas in, in, in the writing was where the soul is attached to the body via a cord, a silver cord. So when when this cord is severed, then you can't go back. That's it. You and then you pass through these mists to to you know through the judgment that we spoke about. Now do you think people went up in levels or down in levels due to the actions they have done during their life or is it like their vibrational state 
Good question. But my understanding is, again, that law of heaven, what you say, shall you reap, is, is, is inviolate. So, but, you know, if you've been like a bad dude, done really bad things to others, the, the other law of heaven that, that uh, um, is so profound is we are, all, we are all one in spirit. So what you do to others, you do to yourself. So when you look in this mirror of reflection, you, you say if I've done something bad to you, well, that's not consequential upon yourself, but it's consequential upon me. So I would wear the consequences of that action, that deed. Do you know how many levels of heaven there are, like number-wise? Ah, my, my understanding, and now I, I, I got taken to both, and I can describe them if you like, to nether regions and shown what happens there and up into higher levels. Now, according to my understanding, reading, there are seven levels, but I... Um, I don't. I mean, I don't. I didn't see that. I just got taken to different levels, so I don't know if there were more up there or there were a lot more down below. I don't right. know. Mm-hmm. I just got shown what I got shown. But um, the 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 majesty of the higher levels was something I, I I could barely begin to describe and put into words what I saw, and also what I saw in the nether regions was. Uh, a hell that you would not even wish to step forward into. So, but it was all heaven. It was all part of heaven's grandeur, but that's what I saw in these different levels. After writing this book or during writing this book, how did you change as a person? Oh, gee, I, I now see life well, I won't say diametrically differently, but because fundamentally you're the same sort of dude. But I, I see the interactions as so much more profound, knowing that the consequences are dire. If if you know if I go out and do really bad stuff, the consequences are, you know, really not cool. Because <laughs> I saw those areas, so it makes you consider, or it makes me consider how I interact and what I do with life uh, in relationship to others, in service to others, but also in fulfilment of what I'm meant to be doing. So very clear that I have, and given that I'm an old dude now and I've got, you know, time frame is, is relatively limited, I haven't got time to sit around and wait. I've got to get on with what I need to do. So that makes life really important so it's it, it's it's more vibrant it's more colored and and it's it becomes a much more beautiful space to be in and and, and do nothing frivolous and we mentioned talking about sitting down watching tv and wasting time before can't do that <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah there are things that need to be done in 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 concert with spirit you know, tune that frequency, tune that frequency, and meditate morning and in the evening, which I never did, never did before. So you tune in and know that that spirit is with you all the time, no, no absence. Listening sometimes not quite tuned in, but for that spirit is with you all the time. So that made a complete difference to to how I live my life now. Now, previously, you were writing books about spiritual stuff and self-help, perhaps. 
Mm -hmm. Did this book and this new information contradict what you had written before because it's something new that you learned? I wouldn't say it contradicted, no, because, you know, by, by virtue of, of, of a life well lived, you know, we do a lot of things right. Um, but at the end of the day, the, as we mentioned before, I think there was a, there was a, not a lack, but not in tune with spirit, doing it out of here, not out of here. So now with the understanding of these things that happen in the afterlife, you know, that connection, I, I believe, is, is, is much stronger. So to be able to, kn to know that spirit is with us all the time at beck and call uh, whenever needed it is, 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 is a great boon to one's life. And to, to be able to tune in and ask a question and say, what do I do about that? <laughs> and get an answer, you know, that feeling. But that wasn't there before. You know, it was, oh, I can work this out. I'll do it logically. I'm pretty smart. I'm a good dude. You know, I've got some good values. That's all fine. But now that combined with this link to, to, to solid spirit, if I could put it that way, makes life a much more vibrant place. Did your character interact with Jesus or God or angels? And if so, how did that play out? Oh, yeah. Um, the answer to that is absolutely yes. The, the, the main character was totally guided um, and, and really never separate from a, from a master spirit who guided him along the way. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you an example of that, how that worked. Um, the, after Athar had left this purgatory, you know, his, his spirit is not deformed, what would you, he, he's like he's been beaten up. So he gets taken to this, uh, the best I could describe it is a Colosseum. Mm. And again, this is just what I saw. It's like if you can imagine a Colosseum with which hundreds and hundreds, thousands of souls have come, and there's multi-hues coloured in, in this surround. Now, in the middle of the arena were these lounge chairs, recliners. And I'm looking, I'm seeing some go, like, what the? And Athar gets taken in by a seraph, a, a, an angel spirit, beautiful angel spirit, who places him on this lounge chair with others. There are others in this arena. And, and amongst the, the crowd, they're, they're chanting like, a, like the Om sound and this beautiful res, this music is resonating around. And in, in walks this master, angel, whatever you like to call him, and he, he manipulated the energy like in a magnetic ball and, and enhanced the energy. And then the energy come down into these spirits, into these souls on the lounge chairs. And some of the, some of the other souls that I saw on these lounge chairs were quite decrepit. They were like illness, uh, deformities. Uh, 
Now they, once the, uh, and I call it the magnetic coral, uh, the light went into these beings, they were renewed. They were like stood up, totally renewed by this love, magnetic energy that this master had 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 created. And they were totally renewed. So they were relieved of their burdens, which, I mean, say, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to, I saw this, I'm trying to describe it, but that's, that's what I saw. But the interesting thing about that experience and what I learned later was that, that the souls are released from their burdens caused by others, not what they did to themselves. So if if um, if somebody like if I've done something bad to you to cause you much harm, you are you you don't bear the the consequences of that of that that those actions. So you're relieved of those burdens, that illness, that deformity, or whatever it is. Only that which you cause to yourself, you know, you still got you know, uh, uh, you've got to face the consequences of that. But that was the the central focus of that magnetic coral. That was one of the experiences. That was one of the things that I saw when I'm writing this stuff and going, whoa, whoa. But that's what was there. That's what I saw. It seems like that the novel has religious overtones to it. Am I correct by saying that? Uh, religious. One of the main characters, uh, one of the characters was the Bishop of the Sea. But that's as far as the religious aspects went. I, I, I didn't really go there to... Um, to you know, talk about or discuss any religious doctrine or or or, or, um, or laws. I, I just wrote what I saw. So if the the, the bishop character was there, I think because he's of his relationship and what uh, he had done or not done to Athar in life. So they had to forgive one another. And that enabled them both to progress through these different levels of heaven. But to call it a, uh, uh, I guess what you say, show you reap, is a religious you know, law. So I guess, yeah, there, there's maybe some aspects of religion in there, but fundamentally, this is a book about spirit. Can you tell us about some of the things that you learned that were very surprising or even shocking to you about heaven? Oh. <sighs> Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, um, I'll tell you about the, the nether regions. Um, and, again, I, I'll just tell you what I saw, uh, and believe it or not. So the, the, the character, the bishop, was taken by, by, by a guiding spirit to these nether regions. So he, and if you can imagine a landscape, of denuded by fire. That's what it was like. You know, that it was complete. So they're going through this area and they enter through these portals. And what I saw were these vortices, uh, uh, a number of them, big uh, spinning powers of vortex, and the souls were entrapped in these. It, it, well, call it, I don't know, t- tornadoes of vortices, and they they couldn't get out. They were trapped because of their. Uh, they were trapped by ch- not by judgment, but by choice. 
and they were vortices of, uh, you'd call them the seven deadly sins, like lust, greed, avarice, anger, you know, malice, that sort of, those sort of, that trapped the soul within. And, uh, and around, around these vortices were these angels, angels in, uh, angels in waiting, I guess you'd call them, where they were waiting for the spirits to, like, repent, say, okay, you know, repent of their sins, if I don't like the word, but, you know, of, of this link they have to this this power vortex. And when the soul was able to do that, they were nurtured and taken away by these beautiful angels to whatever happened, you know, they recuperate. But that's what I saw, and these souls were entrapped in this, in these nether region vortexes. In in a hundred years, Jeff, I, I could never even, I mean, I'm not a religious man. I don't re- really believe in, you know, a lot of these religious doctrines, but I'll, I would never envisage anything like that. But that's what I saw. When you were seeing this stuff, would you see the character as well within these vortexes and when within heaven, or did you just see these places and then add it with the idea of a character into a story no what i in 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 that case it was like i'm seeing through the eyes of of the character that's there they're looking at that so i'm not seeing in i wasn't inside that no no i was looking through the eyes of this so it's all like a first person narrative so i'm seeing what this person is seeing and just trying to describe it that's exactly how it was yeah have you ever questioned yourself, like, why me? Why was I shown this? Oh, no. <laughs> Not really. No. Um, for me, it's all a blessing. But the, as I mentioned right before, I have to buy in. It, the, the Spirit's not going to tell you what to do. They're going to make an offer. This is what you should be doing, Stephen. This is a good. This is a good idea for your own involvement, for the benefit of others, or whatever it might be. But you still get to choose. So, uh, and I'm I'm very glad I did because of the things that I've learned. But it's all it's it's still all choice. Now, I could have said no. Now I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> Leave me alone, and that would have been okay, I guess. <laughs> You mentioned earlier after your fall something about angels. Do you feel like even before this event that happened that you are already in contact with angels or spirit guides? I am absolutely certain, Jeff, that they are with us all the time and at our beck and call. Um, I kind of knew that beforehand, but that was in here. Now it's in here. So you, you, you know that they are there and they can be called on, you know, as you see fit. When we meditate, that's what we do. We connect with these spirits that are, that are there. When we ask questions about, you know, how do I fix this? You know, this is troubling. That's who we're asking. They are, they are there. I'm, I must tell you, apropos to that, interesting, what a, there was a, uh, one of the things I saw was a school of guardianship if I can put it that way, where souls are schooled in how to be guardian angels. I was taken into this school and, and shown this, <laughs> like uh, like there was a lecture theatre and these souls are there being taught how to be guardian angels. And you go, you know, you go figure that, but that's 
what I saw. And 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 then there was how how souls in heaven are able to communicate with uh, we on earth was also described. So to know that these spirits are there in guidance for, for us all the time is I just know it. it's they're just there. Is the reader supposed to get from your book what heaven is like or are there lessons that the reader should be learning? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And I, I think the if I look at it, the what I, what was written, I would look at it and go, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool, and that's really interesting." But it butts up against what we believe. Let me give an example of that. A very dear friend of mine, uh, who he, he's a very staunch Catholic, and he is a beautiful man. He is just a lovely man. And, and and we have these discussions about you know what I and I, I gave him the book to read, um, but uh, and it's influenced his life now in some way, but you know he still got, he still found it in a in a in a, in a perfectly valid you know religious basis that influences his life, which is really cool. But the key to answer your question, I, I think the main thing from the book that a reader could take is how to make life a better place. Consequential of what we know may happen when we pass to the eternal, it's time now, whatever age, to do something to unfold life, to make that eternal life a much better place. Turn away from... if, if, If you knew that by t- if if I knew that by hurting you, as an example, was going to cause me some sort of eternal angst in, in these heavenly realms, well, I would turn from that. I would desist, wouldn't I? Because I know the consequences would be too grave. That there is, to me, the great influence of the book. It's how make you realise how to make life a better place would you like me to take there there's one one other area that might be very interesting for your for your listeners sure. i could tell you about it was a school of for, a school for children and i i can if you can imagine again this is what i saw uh the, a beautiful building marble balustrades and and you know uh like something out of a, 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 a Greek history novel. And in this school, I, I can barely describe for you, when I walked in this character, I walked through the door, and the love I felt in this school, I, I can, it gives me chills now. I can barely describe it to you. But it was a school where uh, young children who have passed early in life are nurtured by the love of the father so they come into this school be they fledglings or a bit older or but that was a school for children so they were beautifully nurtured by these angels that i could barely describe to you that like the love they had uh, for these children and these children were nurtured beyond beyond the scope of what we could even imagine they were nurtured into the prime of their spiritual life to, you know, they were 
quite letting them go afterwards. But but that's what this school was there for. If one now, I, I I couldn't even imagine the pain and suffering that parents would go through and leave and losing a child. But if they knew that that spirit of that child was so beautifully loved in this environment that it would in some ways, not always, mitigate the grief that one felt. So to know that even though you have lost a, a, a beautiful child, that child is nurtured so lovingly in spirit that you know that child is wrapped in the hands of the father. I, I, even now I, I, I see that, you know, the, the picture of inside this school uh, and the love that was surround each of these these young children and in in their involvement in heaven. It was a beautiful experience, but to know that may just mitigate some of the hurt that a parent would feel upon losing a child. It's nice to hear that you say that it looked kind of Greek looking because I've had a handful of people say that they were on the other side. They were in a place that it was Greek or Roman-esque with columns and like a temple. Mm -hmm. And some people even describe a room which they may call the Akashic Records that there's just like records of everything there. Yes, yes. It's interesting, isn't it? And I can confirm that because what I, I was one of the other uh, buildings I was taken into was the the hall of records, and I it was like same thing, Gothic marble, you know, Greek Greek Romanesque buildings, and times times of past and future lining these walls. So you know, I'm looking through the eyes of this Athar character, and he's going. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So he was able to to access records that helped him move forward with what his purpose was. But but it, yes, I, I think it's very much akin to this hall of Akashic records. Is a perfect way to describe it. Some of my guests who have had hellish like experiences usually were able to get out of it by just calling out to Jesus. Does that make any sense to you regarding your book? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, let me give you an example of that. And, and I, I wouldn't say, uh, well, two, two things. Uh, I saw a grand master, a grand master, in the latter stages of the book, a grand master came to, uh, to meet, or, or these, the Athar went up to, was taken up to the hall of this grand master. Now, the interesting thing was that, you know, again, I'm seeing all this stuff and, and the same Greco-Roman, beautiful white balustrades, flowers and gardens that I couldn't even begin to describe to you. But this master, uh, as distinct from the other characters, so when I'm writing, I'd go, what's this, person, what's this soul's name? And immediately I'd, I'd have the name. In this case... I asked a number of times and I was not given. So I just had to call him <laughs> the master because that was the best I could do. I was not given a name. But but to be sure, if you could call him Jesus or Buddha, I don't know. All I know is, you know, I wasn't privy to the name, having although I'd asked 
and received all these other ones, this one I, 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 I didn't get. So, Can you describe for us what the music sounded like that you heard? Oh, gee. Um, you know, music and color. But at, at the end of the 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 book, the Thar was taken up to the really higher levels by this master, and he was shown. It's like looking out over the expanse of of everything. I don't know how else to describe that. And it, uh, it was the everything was music and everything was color. So everything vibrated with that music and colour. So at the higher levels, it was a purity of colour and music. At the lower levels, the music and colour was still there, but it was it was like layered, if, if that makes sense. There was like had dirt on it, if, I, if that makes sense, maybe. But that's what I saw. It was like this the music and the colour infiltrated everything that we are. Every aspect of heaven was music, beautiful music and colours that I couldn't even begin, more than the, the rain colours of the rainbow. I couldn't even begin to describe, but that's what I saw. But at the nether regions, that music and colour was still there, but it was if it was, you know, it had been rolled in dirt, if, if I can put it that way. That's what I saw with the master showed this character from on high. It sounds like to me that music and color are are one in a way. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's pretty close to absolutely correct. Yes, yeah. and it, it's part of us all. So we, you know, we, I guess, we have to tune into this music and vibration, as you mentioned before that enables us to, to evolve to these higher levels. I don't know, that's a bit beyond me. I don't know. But that's what I saw. At this point of your life, do you fear death at all? No. You know, like, <laughs> I can't put it any more directly. No, not at all. I know what, you know, it's hard to say that um, you can believe what you read or hear, as you will, but I know this to be, well, I feel it to be true. I know it's part of my DNA. So um, to, to no, no, because I know what awaits. Yes, there will be a, you go through this purgatory or whatever, but uh, to know the, to know the love and nurture that uh, is beyond the veil, uh, it, it takes away the fear. Take, you know, it, we've all got to pass and it will all happen, but there is no fear now. Absolutely not. How do you think your veil was opened from the accident? Get this uh, nudging for you to write this book. Yeah, it, it is a very good question. I, I suspect the, I mean, the accident was obviously a uh, like a pivot point in life. So you could, I could either opt out and say, "Okay, I'm done. You know, I'm I'm out of here. I'm, it's all good," or you can go forward. And uh, and I, spirit, you you will receive, uh, and I hate the term, like not superpowers. It's not even close to that. But you will be given gifts that will enable you to go forward. And I think that's the the crux of it. So that pivot point in life 
you know, um, let's call, if we want to call it a near-death experience, but at least it's a point that you, you, you get to choose. You say, Chong, you can go that way and go out, or you can go forward, and here's what's going to happen. Tune in, if you will. You know, I've talked to some of my other guests about this, and we call them exit points mm. during their NDE, where they, you know, they could come and they could come back, or they could stay. Do you feel like during your fall, or right immediately after your fall, is that when you got the you got the choice of either staying or you can go, and that's it? I again, it's a, it's another very good question. I what I know is. I was on the fall, I should be dead because the size of it, you know, five metres. And, um, you know, I'm an old dude now. I'm in a brittle bones and all sorts of things. I, I, was, I was loved by the angels at that time. I was nurtured by the angels. If my wife hadn't have been here at that time, which she normally wasn't, I'd, <laughs> I'd still be lying in it. I'd, you, know, I'd, you know, I would have died because there'd be nobody around. Uh, no means of contacting anybody. So uh, it was a, um, I know that I was looked after when the fall happened and spirits were there to take care of me. Um, I, I can't describe it any other way. I was nurtured. And, and for me, that means that I've got more work to do. They are there to help me. I've got things to do. Right. So it was kind of like a synchronicity that, happened to that your wife was yeah, home angels so. were there what would have happened to you if you would have refused to write the book <laughs> oh, i'd hardly want to think about it really Jeff. um i don't know uh i guess life would have been fine um and you know i'm a, I'm a well-gifted man with a beautiful wife and family and things mm -hmm. that all would have been okay but it's not living to one's fullest potential. Right. And you've got time on earth. You know, you're, you're, you're a healthy young man. I mean, but me, you know, 65 now, relatively, you know, I've got a limited time to do things. And it's important that I do them. Right. And given such, with the, the gift, the grace that was given, one by the fall, okay, you've fallen. Oh, yeah, the spirit nurtures you. Now it's up to you to to choose to go forward with the gifts that I will give you is kind of the way I see it. So, but, but, but it's okay if you don't want to, it's all right, Stephen, you can, you can go ahead and do your thing right. and be happy, but you're not living to your fullest potential. Right. Do you think it's possible that you planned writing this book even before you incarnated? I don't think so, Matt. No, no, I, I, I'd shut down. No, absolutely shut down. I know that I, because uh, the, the writing process is, is a beautiful one, but the after of <laughs> the publishing is a pain. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I said, I'm done, you know. And, and I, I've written these screenplays and been demonstrably unsuccessful in their application, so I've got them nowhere. So I said, I'm done with all of this stuff. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm not doing it anymore. So that was a, that was a conscious decision um, that got reversed, which is okay now. And I'm so glad that I did. One last question about your book, and that is, does the character at some point get a choice to come back and reincarnate, or does the character just stay in heaven for infinity? Ah, 
Yes. The character um, we described, he, he, he gets taken to the school of guardianship, so where he meets a, a, an angel guardian who, go, you know, goes down to, to earth and looks after his, his designated soul. But he learns how to cross over the veil. He gets shown, in fact, in the book, it's described how he is taken with his guardian, this angel spirit, to meet up with a, uh, a being, uh, uh, a young lady as it was, and they have a discussion. Just like you and I sitting on, on the computer, this spirit is talking to this young lady while she's sitting at her desk. And it was shown how that was done. So it was really kind of cool. So, yes, yes, there, there, it was shown how, the, how the, the spirit crosses over to help we on earth. All right, again, the book is called The Afterlife, A Journey To, correct? Correct, yes. And do we find that book on your website or on Amazon or both? We're a bit earlier, Jeff. It's, uh, it's still in production stage oh, it's not we uh no, october late october november it will be will be on the shelves so we've got whatever it's five or six months to go yet but yes there's I, still a bit of work to be done i once you publish it you should come to one of my saturday night live streams and on saturday nights which would be sunday morning for you since you're in australia yeah. i let anybody join me for about 10 minutes and and share their spiritual or paranormal experience from time to time guests will come back and they'll pop in too and tell us what they're up to or, or how they're doing and so it'd be great for you at that point to just pop back up and say hey guys it's me i'm steven i'm back and my book's out <laughs> hey much appreciated consider it done so yeah. thank you very much yeah. i will i will join your sunday morning um yeah. talk show with 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 pleasure yeah thank that you would, that'd be great all right well do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Not at this stage, Jeff. No, no, no. I, uh, I no, there's been no inspirations to to write anymore. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'm thankful for that or not. <laughs> you finally finished. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But no, the um, the, the 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 book publishing process, as I mentioned before, is you know just work. You know, backwards and forwards with the publishing stuff. It's all good, but it, you know, but in I've I've tuned the head into that phase rather than the 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 creative phase, if you put it that way. So I've turned the dial <laughs> to to publication rather than production, if you know what I mean. Right. If you don't mind, I'm just curious. What is it about publishing that you don't like? Ah. Oh. It's, you've got to put your business hat on. Um, I've, I've made some, over over the five or six books, I've made some not so salubrious decisions about what to do and how to do it, and I've seen money pour down a drain <laughs> very quickly. Um, so it, it becomes, it's it's all part of the process, but it but it you have it, publication is there are pitfalls for the unwary. You know, we could spend a whole day on that, right. but. There are things that one needs to be very cautious of in the publication process and, and the choice of who you publish with or how you publish, which are uh, would determine where and how the book 
goes and whether you succeed or not. There's so uh, there's lots to it, and it's, and it can be hard work. I mean, there's kind of roadshows, but you get to talk to really nice people on on Zoom videos as well, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? You are never without the love of the Father. Never. Never, never, never. You just have to call. I know that like it's a part of my DNA. He is there for us all the time. Uh, We just have to call and then listen. That's a great message. Stephen, thank you so much for being my guest. And I wish you massive success with this book. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, it was a great pleasure to be with you. And, and um, yes, hello to all your uh, to your listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.